Scripture memory verse tonight, Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 27, 14. Anybody else? Good job. Anybody else? Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and the Lord will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Good job. Anybody else? Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27. I'm so proud. Good job. That's three weeks in a row. To Mrs. I can't do this. I can't memorize scripture. I forget them every time. I'm just, I mean, that's what I keep telling people. You got to keep going because what you pursue and draw near to, what you put in your mind, it actually, God does it. Whatever you're doing, he'll do it. Or you'll do it, I mean. And then if you ask God to help, it definitely will be scripture. So many people say they can't memorize scripture, but good job. Sorry, anybody else? Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 27, 14. Good job. Anybody else? A Psalm of David. Psalm 27 is a Psalm of David. Now I want, I want to look at this. Really, let me just ask you simply, as you look at it on the face of it, 14, what are you waiting on? I mean, really, what are you waiting on? Is there some, something you're waiting on? I mean, you can look at this a ton of different ways. Are you, are you waiting on the Lord? Are you waiting on His glorious appearing? Are you waiting on him to do something in your life? You know, and it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. Uh, it just says, wait on the Lord. This is one of the first verses that God ever gave me. I didn't even really know it was in the Bible, and he, and he just dropped it in my lap when I first got saved. And I'm like, and so therefore, I try never to kick in doors. Because I see so many people kicking in doors, and they're making their plans, and they're making stuff up, and they're doing stuff. And, and, and I'm not trying to point at me. I'm just telling you, because of this verse, I almost make God pull me around like a stubborn mule sometimes where I'm just waiting on him. Can I do? Oh, yeah, in the flesh, I know how to go out and make some stuff happen. I can stir up some dust. I can break some stuff. been doing it all my life. But this verse, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord is an amazing verse. And listen, this is the conclusion Listen, this is the conclusion of the Psalm of David. This is, this is not like, if you just take it right there, you can come up with a lot of stuff. But let's look at the conclusion of this life. Let's go back to, see, because David's went through a bunch of stuff, and he's concluding, after all of it, that God is faithful. 
After all of it, he's saying, quit running out in front of him. Quit lagging behind. Just wait on the Lord, and he will be faithful. He is faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. And if you wait on his timing, if you wait on what he's doing, he will always provide perfectly. His plan is so much better than anything you can create for yourself. Oh, I got a good idea. I was eating pizza, and I thought about this program. We're going to do this thing here, and we're going to come up with this, and we're going to go do this. And he's saying, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So you really have the wait, and the wait is the double witness in the Hebrew word, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. And he's really concluding with that. This is a book of poetry. David was a worshiper. David did poetry. But think about this. This is, I believe, and I, and I was reading a, uh, somebody's opinion on this, and like, we're really not sure, and I, I hate to be mocking, but we're really not sure whether this was then or that. I mean, look at the thing. I mean, all you got to do is read it, and you can see this is not a young man who's trying to figure out who God is. This is a young man, tell, or this is an older man who's mature, who's been through some stuff, and he's saying, listen, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is the conclusion. After he went through and made so many mistakes, you don't have to make them if you'll wait on the Lord because he's the one that has bought you with his blood. He's the one who knows what's going on in the spiritual realm. He's the one that knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows what he wants for your life. He knows what he's done. He knows what he's preparing you for. So wait on him. But we just run off. And we come up with things that we want to do. And we have ideas. And, and you know, as I grow older in the Lord, and I'm not very old in the Lord, I'm learning if I wait on him, he opens doors up good. He knows how to... He knows when to open them. He knows when you're ready for them. He knows how to test you and to try you and allow you to be tempted. He knows everything that's going on everywhere, and he's a perfect God who wants to get you across the finish line. We're trying to get into next week. We're trying to get in and wait on our next vacation. We're waiting on our next job, or we're waiting on our next, you fill in the blank. And then he's like, listen, I got this. You can trust me. I didn't come down and die because I love you and wanted to be married to you so that I could let you just run around and act crazy. You can trust that I can finish the work I started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, faithful is he who called us, and he will also do it if we wait upon the Lord. I wanted to bang that up a little bit and just talk to you and just get that point in your head and then go back. And this is, I believe, his conclusions. And this is why he's telling you to wait upon the Lord. Because David, David was a worshiper. And those who worship the Lord will wait upon the Lord. You're waiting with him. And now you might think of that as being a, a time of prayer. Because how many ways can you wait on the Lord? Like, do you tarry with the Lord in prayer? Lord, can you just please do that? Okay, let's go. Or do you pray and then you wait? Do you wait for the Lord? Do you wait on him to speak do you pray about something and then get up and go out and do it because you've already made up your mind or do you pray about it and literally just keep praying until God answers because he really has answers it's yes no and wait it's not time yet he's gonna go say yes no or wait right, that's really I mean I mean that, that might sound cliche 
but God answers prayers. And if he says no, then why are you still praying? But if he says yes, but now wait, because timing I'm preparing you for, you have to wait for his timing. You know this is what he's put on your heart, but now you have to wait. And waiting sometimes can be the hardest thing that there is. But the reward is great if you don't get in the way. See, many people go get in the way and they'll settle up for this and they miss God's best. And all they do is they get something that seems good. This feels right, but it's not what God was wanting to give you. It was not his best. And I'm chief of that. So when you go back and let's just look, and I'm not, I didn't look up a bunch of the words I can tell you what my, my context in my heart is, but I went back and looked at the front of it. And, and you can just see the maturity in this and the relationship in this and the truth in this as we follow David's life and his testimony. And he says this, verse 1, and I tell you, there's this song. We sang this. So we used to sing this song all the time. Verse 1 here. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? I mean, that's just, it might have been Tom Camp's song. I don't know whether he wrote it or not, but we used to sing it all the time. Uh, So the Lord, uh, Yehovah, Yahweh, um, it's the Jewish or Hebrew national name for God, is my light. Now, when you look at it in the... um, Hebrew, my light is all one word. So it's really looking at the light. And I think that this is the only time that God being the light personal like this is really in the Old Testament. Now the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We know that now. But in the Old Testament, usually when this word is used, it's like it's like uh, he, he spoke and there was light. You know, and it's talking about brightness and light and, and things. But this David saying, the Lord is my light. Right? And he's my salvation. Notice it's personal. This is not, I said a prayer once. You know, this is not, uh, I, I go to church. This is not, I know there's a God and he loves me. Let's look at, the, look at the possession that goes on here. And it's really important because that's how we get to wait on the Lord. At the end of this um, psalm. Um, oh, it's not even it's, the Psalm of David is actually in the King James as part of verse one, but it's not in my New King James. The Psalm of David and David means uh, David means uh, beloved. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Um, the Lord is my light. Is the Lord your light, or are you still walking in darkness? Think about this. This is serious stuff because. Because this, this is how he be. He waited on the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He learned to grow in the Lord. He learned that God was faithful. And this is why he's going to tell us in conclusion, as an older man, older king probably, is that wait on the Lord. He's the light in my salvation. And now I think that, of course, we know the word salvation becomes costume jewelry. Do not think that that's a bad thing to say. It becomes almost like costume jewelry in the New Testament. Oh, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. I have salvation. And the word means deliverance. New Testament thought is deliverance from the sin nature is salvation. Rescue. 
we're transported into the kingdom of the beloved, our God. So salvation is, is a rescue. It's, it's, it's brought into safety so that the enemy cannot kill us. We're hidden beneath his wings. And David, though, here is really looking at God being his rescue, his deliverer, his strong fortress. He, said, he says this a lot of different ways in Psalms. And he's looking at this. Now, I'm not saying he's not looking forward knowing that God has promised the Messiah is coming. But I think he's more looking at this as his light in a dark world. And he's my salvation. He delivers me. He's my ever-present help in time of need. I think that's the way this word is being used. I don't think it's really talking about he saved my soul. That's a different time. Now, I could be wrong, but I, the context of waiting on the Lord as you watch this is talking about a man being matured and sanctified and cleansed and growing in a relationship with God. And this is what we, I mean, Sunday we're going to talk about it in, in John 17, 4. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Listen, that's eternal life, knowing God. Not saying a prayer once. Not going to an altar once. And, and the culture is falling for this. But knowing in an intimate way of being married to the God and creator who spoke light into darkness. He's become our salvation. This is it's so much more than one prayer. It's so much more than believing as the demons believe and tremble. And notice this, though, this mature statement. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Listen, if the Lord is your light and your salvation, there is nothing else to fear. I mean, literally, if God is on your side, who can be against you? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. His perfect love casts out all fear. When we know that we belong to God, we're married to God, we're saved by God, we're in God's hands, and he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, why would we be afraid? He's got us. I mean, he perfectly has us. And he's God all over. Nobody can touch us. Nothing can harm us. Nothing can befall us that God does not have his sovereign hand on to move us, to shape us, to teach us to wait on the Lord. You just can't. No matter how bad it feels. And he says that. Whom shall I fear? You're talking about a man of war. This is a guy that kills 10,000 peoples in one battle. I mean, you got to think about who this is right here. I mean, David was a warrior. He couldn't build the temple because he had blood on his hands. Because he killed so many people. And then he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. First, God gives him life. And then God gives him strength to live that life. Many people will say, oh, it's my life. I get to, cho I get to choose how I live it. And they want to be strength of their own life. But David has come to realize that the Lord is the strength of his life if he really has life. If he's not letting the Lord be the strength, then he's, de he's dead. He's a dead man walking. If, if we don't come to the realization 
that we need Christ to be our strength. We need the Lord, Jehovah, to be our strength in life. He's the one that will protect us. Outside of that, we got some stuff to be afraid of. But he says again the second time, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be a statue of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, it's a great opening line of a mature king that has been through some stuff and knows that his time is in God's hands. And as we grow, we need to rest in that. And we need to be able to wait on the Lord and not have to rush out and look anxiously about us and think that we got to get everything done instantly because we have all of eternity to be with our Lord and to build this relationship. But we can rest in this. So he not only gives him life, but he gives him strength for life if he waits on him. Where are you getting your strength from? How are you living your life? Where does your strength come from? What are you waiting upon? What are you hoping in? If he gives us salvation because he gave his greatest possession, and David obviously didn't know these things fully, but he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he was trusting God in everything that he did, no matter where he was at. And... Um, He knows that the Lord has to be his strength. Uh, God gives power and might to us. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But we have to surrender our own strength. We have to surrender our own power. We have to lay down our own life. We have to come to this place where we know it's not about us. And it's not going to be done by us. Notice this, verse 2. When the wicked came against me. Now notice, those are past tense. When and came. Those are past tense. David is giving testimony. This is what he's saying about the faithfulness of God. I have come to know that the Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, probably poetic for kill me, my enemies and my foes, what happened to them? They stumbled and fell. Why? Because God is my salvation. God delivered me. God protected me. God gave me strength to overcome them. God, God, God is, is the one who did it. Remember this? Listen, young kid, right? Think about the testimonies that we read of David. Young kid, 15, 16, taking care of dad's sheep, and a lion and a bear comes. And he testifies that God gave him strength to grab them by, their, by the hair of their chin and kill them. When did he do that, Greg? He did it when he was telling Saul about Goliath, that he was getting ready to go down into the valley and defeat not by, by stick or sword or anything, but in the name of the Lord God of Israel, the one who is his light and his salvation. He was learning at a young age to trust God, to believe God, and that God loved him. So many people don't understand that God loves them. The reason we're still here is because God loves us. The reason we have salvation is because God loves us. God is not mad at us. God's not saying, you stinking sinners. The love is true. 
Why would he die if he didn't love us and want to, and pursue us with a never-ending love? And we got to get this right in our identity. He's not mad at us. He's not focused on our sin. He already put it all on his son. And he doesn't want us focusing on our sin. He doesn't want us practicing it, but he doesn't want us condemned in it. He died so he can set us free from the guilt and the shame and the pleasure of it. So he's not mad at us. He wants us to, to look at him and love him and understand him and be led by him and let him be the strength of our life and follow him onward and upward in Christ Jesus. He's not mad at us. But the devil, the enemy, always gets us focused. Programs, programs in the church get us focused back on our sin. Well, we want to take a deeper look at their sin. Why? It's paid for at the cross. Get a deeper look of Jesus. Get a better understanding of your identity in Christ and walk in freedom. It's for freedom's sake that he set us free. Spend time with him in a love relationship. He's already got all that taken care of. But then our flesh starts focusing on the ditch we were in, and all of a sudden we're back in it again, stomping around down in there like it's okay. Instead of walking with Jesus, letting him be the strength of our life, our light and our deliverer, our strong deliverer, who we can cast our care upon. The wicked. So David says, that, you know, when the lion and the bear, when Goliath, when out of nowhere, God anoints me king. Samuel comes down, he pours oil on my head, and then all of a sudden, Saul wants to kill me. And I knew I feared God enough, David would say, that I would not kill him. I could lay my hand on him. God's the strength of my life. I could take over this kingdom if I wanted. God's already told me it's mine. But what did he do? Think about it. He's in the wilderness with all these disgruntled men in debt, everything, these mean, burly dudes. They're all in the wilderness, and they're going around a mountain just staying right in front of Saul, just far enough away. Think about all that happened, though. Remember, there's this, oh, man, these testimonies are crazy. Here's David and them hiding in a cave. They're not afraid. Dude, be cool. Saul's coming in. The army's right outside the nose of the cave. Most people would run in fright. we got to escape. They're hiding in the dark of the cave. And Saul comes in to relieve himself. And while he's squatting down doing a number two, one of the guys with David cuts the hem of his robe off. They're not afraid. People can't do that that's afraid. They're going, no, these guys are brave warriors. They go, what's this? And they cut the corner of his robe off. They're not afraid. David's not afraid, even though the enemy's pursuing him. Think about that. And he goes out and pleads with Saul. Look, I have the corner of your robe. I could have killed you. God put you in my hands. And I didn't do anything. But David knows he can't lay his hands on God's anointed. And he has to listen to God. And God will raise him up when he waits on the Lord. God raises him up in due time. God is the one that's going to enthrone him as king. If he waits on the Lord. If he waits for the Lord's timing. For the Lord's way. For the Lord to do the work in his heart. The Lord is the one that lifts you up. If you humble yourself in his sight. So then, they're, they're, I mean, they're in, remember, the, the whole army. You guys remember these testimonies? You read the Old Testament, I'm like, are you crazy? 
These guys aren't afraid. The army's asleep on the ground. And David and a couple of the guys go creeping into the camp and get right up on the king with the greatest warriors around the king. And they, they sneak up and take a water jug in his spirit and leave the camp. Think about it. You've got to be a, either the Lord is the strength in your life and you're trusting God. Think about it. I mean, that's pretty awesome stuff to me. I don't care what anybody says. You creep up on a whole army right down in the middle of them while they're all, they're all sleeping out there. And you take one of them, spear one of them, juggle hard, you go up on the hill and go, hey, where was you at, Joe? When, Joab, when you're supposed to be protecting the king? Is that you, David? Yeah, here's his sword and jug of water. I was right there next to you. You can't protect the king. It's, it's, it's an amazing testimony. Now, if you think you did that on your own, you might end up haughty and in some trouble. But when you know that the Lord is the one protecting you in the wilderness and waiting for his time to enthrone you as the king of Israel, then you understand that it's God that's doing the strength. And you can go any place, and you're indestructible until God's finished with you. And you can open your mouth, and you can speak up, and you can testify about God. Because you've been set free. And so here's David. I mean, think of everything that happens. The Philistines. He's fighting the Philistines all the time. 10,000 of them. He would slay. I mean, that's why one of the reasons Saul was trying to kill him. They're singing a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. I don't even know if it rhymes, but what a song. You're sitting there going to king and you're eating chicken after the battle. You're like, what? He killed more than me, ten times more than me. This ain't going to go over well. We're going to get rid of this bum out of my kingdom. And that's what happens. He pursues him. But David, listen. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Why did the wicked come against him? Because they hated God. And God had anointed him as king. And they knew that he was going to be king one day. Even Jonathan, the gracious gift of God, knew that he was anointed to be king one day. And Jonathan was supposed to be next in line of Saul's son. And he even knew it. So you know the enemy knows it. So the enemy's trying to kill him in any way possible. Make people jealous of him. And David still is trusting the Lord. Now this none of this says, listen... None of this says that David didn't have sin. That's why I'm telling you this. God deals with sin. They were looking forward to God dealing with sin. And they had the law and sacrifices to deal with sin. But now we look back, we know that Jesus paid for sin. That, that, that requirement has been paid. And it sets us free so that we don't have to worry about the penalty of sin. The wages of sin are what, Greg? They're death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not giving anybody permission to sin. Because once you see this and you understand your identity and see the goodness of God, you want to draw near to him and let him be the strength of your life. These enemies, these foes, they didn't make it. They stumbled. They fell because God protected him. Verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, and they did, my heart shall not fear. There it is again. He's like, I'm not going to fear. Doesn't matter what the enemy throws against me. What is encamped against me, I'm not going to fear. 
Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. No fear. I am confident in this salvation. I am confident in this God. I am confident in the strength of my God. That he is my salvation. He's my deliverer. And I do not have to be afraid because he's got me. Then he says in four, one thing I have desired. Man, I skipped all the good stuff, didn't I? No, not yet. We'll get to the next. I thought I skipped some good stuff that I wanted to talk about. I got excited about what David was saying. Because it's amazing when you see the testimony of men that are following God. Trusting God. My heart, look at three again. My heart shall not fear. Isaiah 41, 10, 4. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I, I will help you with my righteous right hand. Who's that? It's Jesus, my righteous right hand. He's, he's the right hand of God. One thing I have desired of the Lord, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek. What are you seeking? What are you desiring? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Of course, the temple was where all their, um, all their Jewish life was surrounded. Three days, they, three times a day they would go into the temple. Everything that they did was celebrated. All their holy days were celebrated around the temple because that was represented the presence of God. You know, Now it's our hearts. We're the temple of God. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwell in you? But look what he says, desired. Because we, we look at this a little differently. And the word desired, I got it somewhere. This word desire is, is, is to means to ask or to inquire, uh, to ask counsel or pray or request from God. This is what it's talking about. He's requesting of God. He's asking of God. Um, and he tells us this of his heart. And that will I seek. There's that one thing. And that will I seek. What are you seeking? Because look what he says he wants to do. is That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So why? So I can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Listen, he wants to be in the presence of God. And see, and this is what this is what we know that Romans eight fourteen says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We're in the presence of God. God lives in us. God can lead us. God gives us power. He can He can come up on us. He gives us gifts and talents and abilities. He's anointed us. But do we desire to dwell in His house, or do we desire to go out and chase our own things, or are we desiring to be in His house? and doing what he's called us to do, what he's anointed us to do, so that we can see his beauty and inquire in his temple. Really speaking of God's presence is what we see. What are you seeking in your life? These are important questions because if you seek and ask and knock, you're going to find him. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But if you're seeking other things, that's what you're going to find. Well, you know, it's um, on Sunday it's okay to seek the Lord, but you know, the rest of the week I got I got it's a real world. I gotta get out there and get after it. I gotta pay my bills. I I mean, this is real life, Greg. Well, I mean, what do you mean? 
going to seek some other stuff. Think about it, really. I mean, I, I, I think about it all the time. I'm like, what are we really doing down here? What have we been handed down here? What kind of a church are we being given? A weak, anemic church? What kind of uh, a testimony are we being handed from other people? How are we living in a way where we can encourage people to live out loud? And David says he desires. You're like, yeah, but he was the king and he was tough. And he could do that. He had a bunch of money. No, I think God's got us where he wants us. And he wants to know if we trust him. And uh, he wants us to desire to seek him. To desire to understand that salvation is of the Lord and that relationship that we would have so that we can be with him all the days of our life and behold his beauty and come into his temple and inquire. Did I have that word? Uh, probably the same exact word. It's interesting that the first usage of the word desire is in uh, Genesis twenty-four forty-seven. And I'm going to teach this someday. I haven't taught it in a while. But when you look at Genesis 24, the head servant of Abraham has went to get a bride for Isaac. Isaac is the type of Christ. The bride is the type of the church. Uh, it's, what did I say, Genesis 24, 47. And he's got all of his master's goods. He loaded them up on camels and he took off and he went back to the homeland and he's, he's, he's like, oh, Lord, you can actually read it, maybe. Uh, I might have to teach it sometime. I wanted to teach it, but I can't. It's like a really long chapter. So he gets there, and he's kind of spying it out. He gets right to the land, and he's like, oh, Lord God of Abraham, let it be that whoever comes out to this well to draw water, let it be her. See, so who's coming out seeking the Lord? Who's coming out to draw water? It's the Holy Spirit. And so she comes out. Here she, here she comes walking up with this picture. Um, and, and he doesn't know who she is yet. And 47 says, then he asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose. King James says on her face and the bracelets on her wrist. And then what did the Holy Spirit do? Then what did this head servant of Abraham do? Then he bowed. He said, I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord of my master, Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. And so here's Rebecca. Then Rebecca, she's a servant. So she she literally draws water to feed or to to, to drink for all ten camels. Now, now it, it, that might not seem significant, but she's doing all this work, and a camel can drink up to thirty gallons one camel, and there's ten of them, and she draws all of this water. And but what what does this mean? Because jewelry means something. They would when you were being led off as a slave, they put a nose ring and clip it to the next person's nose so you couldn't jerk and run. And when you put a ring in a nose, that means you become their servant. And he'd give her a nose ring and he'd give her a bracelet. And these, these, these are significant because when you come to salvation, 
When, when, when you believe and you come to the well to drink and the Holy Spirit says Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then later you're going to see that when she says, I will go, she's given more gifts for the trip to get ready as the bride until she meets Isaac in the field and she puts the veil back over her face. It's an amazing testimony of you and I, the church, that is supposed to be prepared. But today we see people, and I'm not picking on people that are piercing their ears and piercing their nose and stuff, but they're, they're, they're piercing it to the gods of this world. And they think it's just costume jewelry. And my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I don't care who gets mad at me about it because I'm going to speak the truth of the Bible. That's what it's about. The tattoos are about it. All of these things are about serving false gods. God, I mean, in the year of Jubilee, when you're set free, you would go to the doorpost of the house and say, God, pierce my ear, O Lord. And you would be belonging to God. Jacob, later, when he returns, years later, when, 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 when uh, uh, they get there, he says, take all your earrings out and, and get them out and put away your false gods. And then his wife dies there. I mean, we, we understand what's going on Yet we teach it away in the church today, and we act like it's just a cultural thing, and we're just dressing up, and we're just being nice. But there's a spirit of the age that's dominating people because they won't believe truth, and they won't learn truth, and they won't follow truth, and they won't seek to be in the Lord's house. What they want to do is keep, to, I said a prayer, I get to seek and do whatever I want because I'm already saved. But it's just not true. That first usage there is very important. Very important about this word desire. It means to ask or to inquire. And that's what that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Is this one yours, Lord? Because he's taken everything that belongs to Jesus. And the Father gave us all to Jesus. And none were lost except the son of perdition. And he's looking for the daughters that are going to be married to Jesus. And he's giving them gifts, and he's sealing them, and he's piercing their nose, and we're supposed to follow. And you're going to see um, Rebecca go over 500 miles on a donkey through mountainous terrain, and you never hear her complain. You never hear anything bad. She says she's going to go, and then you don't hear anything about her testimony because it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. But during that trip, she's being conformed into the image and being prepared as the bride by the Holy Spirit. What do you desire? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to God's bride or anything like that. But when we come to Jesus, it's because we realize that we were sinners that were going to hell. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we come to the well. And then we go, yeah, I said a prayer, hi. And we walk off. Instead of following, I will go. Why, why does it go? Because he tells us to go and tell others to go and make disciples of all nations, all tongue, every tongue, every tribe. And I will not leave you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And people go, oh, come on, that's the Old Testament. Really? Well, God's the Ancient of Days. Do you want to follow him? He's old. I mean, the Bible's very clear on what we're supposed to be doing, but we've tried to separate this stuff and go, well, that's the Old Testament. We're living in the New Testament now. 
It's the same God, the same heart, the same thing. The same desires is that we understand. He opens our eyes that we're sinners that need a Savior. And we only can get in by marrying Christ. What do you desire? Do you really want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life? Starts down here. Inquiring in his temple. Lord, my heart. I need to inquire here in my heart. What's going on there? Why am I seeking this? Why am I desiring that? Why am I following this? Why am I believing that? Why am I not reading my Bible? Why am I not building a love relationship with you? Verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high up on a rock. Isn't it amazing that the king had all of his soldiers out there and they're in the wilderness and couldn't catch David? Isn't it amazing all the things that David went through? The enemy, the devil trying to kill him. Now he said he broke all ten commandments with Bathsheba. And God put away his sin and said you'll not die. Shouldn't he have died under the law? He would have died. Committed adultery, he's supposed to die. But God put away his sin. So important how we give grace and mercy. God's a God of mercy. God's a God of mercy. He came to bring mercy. He sits on the throne of grace to mete out mercy and grace. We can come boldly to his temple. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, I was looking at it because head is really like power. And now he's going to become king. It's six. It's a number of man. And it could be that this is when he's in Hebron for the first time and he's become king. I don't know. But he says, and now my head, I went through all of these things, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. Because he's going to be given and start conquering all the lands around him. I don't know if that's what that's talking about, but um, it's amazing. And what does he do? He realizes that it's all because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. And he's going to offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. He's going to sing, and he's going to sing praises to God, and he's going to thank God. Um, for all of this. He's giving an offering to God for it. And David was a worshiper. He, I mean, he might have sinned, but he worshiped the Lord. He bowed down to the Lord. He said, not, just as Jesus did, not my will, but thy will be done. He wanted to do the will of the Lord. You know, if you contrast him with Saul, um, the first king, the Bible really lists more of David's sin than of Saul's. But God killed Saul and he lifted David up because David was a worshiper. David repented. David was seeking and desiring to be in his heart. Saul was building temples to himself and, ta and statues to himself and, and lying and cheating and making excuses for his sin. David repented. He was a man after God's own heart. And now his head is being lifted up above his enemies. And he's going to offer sacrifices 
<laughs> so I believe, you know, when we come to salvation, we should be giving the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We should be giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of the mind, so we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. Now, I, I don't know if you, I mean, to me, I'm looking at this and I'm like, David knows he's a sinner. David knows it's because of God's mercies that he's not consumed, because his compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. David knows he's a sinner. He knows it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So he's crying out to God with his voice. And he's saying, have mercy upon me and answer me. Have you been crying out to God? Are you mourning over your sin? Are you coming and confessing it before him? Now, he, he just doesn't want you to hide it from him. He wants you to confess it. It's already been paid for. I believe David is, is in, in what he's saying here is showing that he knows it's not his strength. That it's God's strength. It's not because of what he's done. It's because of God's mercy. He knows he's a sinner. He knows his place. He knows what he's done. And he knows that God's called him. Now notice the new beginning. When you know that. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. See that new beginning? Obedience to God. God's word said, seek my face. Seek my favor. And he said, my heart said, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek your favor. Because he's learning, he's growing, he's understanding of what he is and what God's doing that God has called him. And if the Lord be for us, who can be against us? Listen, God's got this. You can trust him. Just be honest with him. Just surrender to him and seek his face. Ask him to give you a desire that you would seek his face. Ask him to give you a desire that you would dwell in his house forever. Do not, now he says to him again, praying, we know we're praying. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Um, again, he knows what he deserves. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Uh, and he's like, do not hide your face from me. When I come seeking your face, don't hide it from me, Lord. Help me to find it. Help me to see you. Don't be angry with me in your hot displeasure. Do not punish me in your hot displeasure. David would say, forgive me of my presumptuous sin. And he, he remembers that you have been my help, an ever-present help in time of need. Don't leave me nor forsake me. Think about it. If he's thinking about God taking his spirit from Saul, and then he's committed. This could even be at the time with Bathsheba right here. We don't know. We don't know the heart of it. We don't know what he's writing. We don't know. But he's, he's, he's like, uh, you know, don't hide your face from me. And that's always God's face is his favor. His loving favor, his mercy and grace. And he remembers him. And this is what you always want to do when, when the enemy is attacking, when your heart is attacking you, but God is greater than your heart. 
Always remember the truth of God's word when your heart is attacking you. Because you can actually blow it and then attack yourself and be worse on yourself than God ever would be. God's already forgiven us. All God's doing is trying to train us and teach us and prepare us for the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's trying to get us to, to, to be washed and cleansed and, and, and sanctified and set apart for his good pleasure. And, and when we sin, we have to confess it so that we can be right with him and have the Holy Spirit uh, uh, speaking to us again and flowing through us. Not an excuse to sin. It's what happens when we do sin because we will sin and we should learn not to sin. And we shouldn't be sinless yet, but we should be learning to sin less as we fall more in love and seek to be in his presence all the time. Because if you're in his presence and allowing the Spirit to lead you, you're never going to sin. Theoretically, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're never going to sin because the Spirit's never going to lead you into a place of sin. There might be a temptation there, but a Spirit for me, I'm not doing anything. Get away from me. You know, you, you've got the Spirit there, and you can be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. And you have on the armor of God. Verse 10, when my father and mother forsook me, then the Lord will take care of me. Or, excuse me. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Now listen again, this is, this is the reason we're waiting on the Lord. Every bit of this is the reason he's going to conclude, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will renew your strength. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And again, here, there's no record in the Bible every word of his father and mother forsaking him. In fact, when he goes to be king on Hebron, he goes and gets them. They're with him. It's not so. What he's saying is, if poetically, if the worst thing ever would happen to me, like my father and mother forsake me, in our world today we have just destroyed families everywhere. If that happens, God still isn't going to leave you nor forsake you. He's still going to care for you. He still will take care of you. So you you can't blame it on somebody else. He's just saying to me, in the worst case scenario, I don't think this happened. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the worst thing on the world would happen because you wanted to honor your parents. Today, we don't have that same type of thing. In fact, the Bible is leading us into a place where, where children will turn their parents in for being worshipers of God. I mean, they're going to they're gonna betray you. And so, but David's just saying that then the Lord will take care of me. He's a father to the fatherless. And it's just that simple. He takes care of you. And that's what he's doing. He's bringing us back into a family, but we have a lot of broken families, and that does not have to be the excuse. It's not God's fault. God is wanting you to come into His family, and it has to be done through marriage. And so He cries out here because of still Him knowing, "Teach me Your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies." See, the enemies are there every day. They already know. They're trying to trip you up. They want your testimony to look bad. So he says, teach me in your way. And it's a really amazing word. Um, teach means to flow as water. To rain. It means to lay or to throw, especially an arrow or a shot. Uh, to point out as if by aiming the finger. To teach me, to inform me, to instruct me, to show me. Um... Well, look at Genesis 31, 51, the first usage of the word teach. It's, see, because we, we, sometimes language is hard. 
course God's going to teach us, but he teaches us with lessons. He teaches us with life. He teaches us in the school of hard knocks. And so we often think of it because we grew up in a culture that has these schools, and that's the only place you go to get taught, is that you have to be in a schoolroom and sitting behind a desk to get a teaching. What did I say, 3151? Mm-hmm. Is that what I said? Yeah. Hope that's it. 3151. There ain't even 51 in. Oh, I'm in Exodus. Uh, uh, don't even know my own Bible. Running out of time. Running out of time. You guys are getting tired. What did I say? Thirty-one, fifty-one. This is uh, uh, Mizpah, which means watchman, or it's a rock that watches between the two of them. Isn't that interesting? Where he makes a deal. Uh, then Laban said to Jacob, here is the heap, and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. Uh, I have cast, uh, is King James, I have cast or placed between you and me. And, and, and it, it's just amazing that that's the first usage that he places this rock that's watching between the two of them. It's a heap, and here is this pillar which I have cast is the word. It means to cast something or place something. That's, that's teaching. So God allows things to be placed in your life to teach you uh, and to help you understand what's going on in life. But you have to be, you have to understand the rebukes of life. You have to learn from what's going on and let it teach you and bring you peaceable fruits of righteousness. So he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in smooth in a smooth path because of my enemies. You know, the Lord knows everything about the spiritual realm. He knows what's coming. He knows where we're going. He knows where our eyes are at. He knows what we're doing. And we can trust him to prepare us for tomorrow. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, because they want to kill us. For false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence. Now this, they hate. They, you know, the hate is coming back. We're seeing it right now against Israel. Anti-Semitism is at its highest again that it's been in many years. But it's against God's people. It's a God's firstborn country, and it's going to turn on God's other people, the the church. And they, you know, they call uh, uh, America big Satan and Israel little Satan. And they want to destroy both places. And so it's not anything new. But at the same time, I want you to know that they use it with fear to keep you afraid so that you won't st- live out loud. So you've got to understand what fear is about. And you don't have to fear. You can walk by faith. But if you're not walking by faith, you're probably in fear because they're the opposite of each other. Because faith is believing God and fear is not trusting God. We can, we can go out and do what he's called us to do. And that's what David's talking about. That when God is for us, who can be against us? You can trust him, but you need to let him prepare you for the battle. You need to spend time with him. You need to wait upon him. And then he says this, and it's not even, you can see that 13. I would have lost heart or fainted is, is not even there. It's all in italics. But it's the content that's supposed to be there. Unless I had believed. I mean, it's the context. They're trying to help you understand the heart of the poet here, David. What do you believe? Unless I have had believed or trusted that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
uh, he says, teach me your way, lead me in smooth paths because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of the adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's our hope. That's our promise. That's our anchor to our soul. That we don't want to lose hope. We don't want to faint. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though the uh, outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Right? And this is what he's going to say now. Well, how does that work? Wait on the Lord. There's a hope. Wait on the Lord. Wait means to bind together. Wait means uh, uh, to bind together uh, perhaps by twisting. A, a, a cord of three strands is not easily separated, right? It's, it, it's to exempt or to gather together, to look uh, patiently to. When you're waiting on the Lord, uh, you're waiting upon Him. He's working on you. See, we often think that we're waiting. Well, I'm waiting. No, no, no. He's preparing you. Waiting is not hiding in your house. Waiting is not being still and doing nothing. Waiting is staying attached to the vine and going and growing. Waiting is a time of still doing what you know to do, but you're waiting on the Lord as he prepares you for what he has for you in the future. Waiting is not just, I'm going to sit here and wait for the bus. And if it never comes, I'm never getting off this bench. Where have you been? I've been reading my Bible all day, all week. I ain't left my house. I'm waiting on the Lord. That's not the point. Waiting is waiting for his time, waiting for his anointing, waiting for his calling, listening to him, being led by his spirit. But he's the one that's going to give you good courage. He's the one that's strengthening your heart. Are you waiting on the Lord and looking eagerly for the Lord? Here's, here's the amazing thing. Uh, Genesis 1-9 is the first usage of this word. I love this. I was like, what are you talking about? You must be crazy. This is blowing my little brain. Listen, this is God speaking. He spoke. He's still speaking today. He sent his word to heal the land. And God said on the third day, let, and then God said, verse 1-9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Amen. It was so. Listen, think about this for a minute. Let is the word wait. Listen to me. The first let is the word wait, and then be gathered together is the same word again. It's there twice. Let, and then he talks to the water, and be gathered together. And that's, that's the word wait. Now what happens? They, it happened. So see, if you wait on the Lord, it's going to happen. He spoke to the waters and the dry lands, and they separated, and the water was gathered together, and the dry was gathered together, like the harvest. And so those that have the Holy Spirit are gathering together, and those that are dry are gathering together. But listen, listen, it happened. He spoke to the earth, and it happened. He spoke the word, and it happened. So if you wait on the Lord, it's going to happen. He's going to do all that he said he's going to do. If he can let the waters... And he, you know, Psalm says he meets them out. Hey, put a little water over here, a little water over here. Let's put a whole bunch over there. And, I mean, listen to me. If the waters and the land are obeying him, that's his orderly creation. 
And then he tells us to wait on the Lord to grow because our enemies will be vanquished. He's our light and he's our salvation. He's for us. He's not against us. That we need to be desiring. Listen, if we wait on him, we're promised. These promises are true. If we wait on him and don't fear, just trust him, be of good courage. Now, we need the spirit to do this. He's going to strengthen our heart. And then he gives us the second witness. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Don't get any other ideas. Well, I think about running for politics. <laughs> wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I'm sure that that, that, that will pass. Now listen, let's look at some more and we'll close this out. Wait on Jehovah, the self-existing one. What are you waiting on? Listen, wait on, on denotes the motion towards or concerning, right? I mean, if you're looking at one nine still, the word unto, let the waters, it's, it's the same word, on. The waters waited on God's command and they moved to the one place. And it was so on the third day. I mean, I'm like, and now he's telling us to do the same thing because it will be so. If we wait and trust the Lord, it's going to happen. He's faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. Move toward the Lord. That's what that word on, wait on. It's used in turning and the direction of, concerning of, on, it's actually the word L, E-L, which is singular for God. Also in other places, Elohim is plural. So he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. I mean, and then listen to this, because this is good. Good courage is all one word. I'm not, I'm not going to do a whole bunch more, but here, here's one. <laughs> one of the ways that this is translated, good courage, is play the man. Be a man. Act like a man. Stand up. I know. Like I'm a woman. Okay, be a woman then. But be strong and be of good courage. It's another place that it's there. It means to take hold. It means to withstand. It means to continue and lay hold and grow firm and be strong. To fasten yourself upon Yahweh. What are you fastening yourself to? What are you trusting in? What's strengthening your heart? I mean, think about it. It's going to fail if it's not God's word. And he says, wait on the Lord. What are you waiting for? What are you fastening yourself to? Is it the self-existing one? Or is it to something that's a career or, or an education? Or is it some paycheck or some vacation or some other relationship? What are you fastening yourself to to be your hope today? And actually, it means to seize. Listen, listen, I'm not done. To uh, bind, and it means to cleave to God and to be married to God. It means a marriage, to cleave, a marriage. That's what good courage is, that I'm married to him. He will take care of me. He's my husbandman, and I need to hang on to him because he's going to protect me. He is my life. He's my salvation. I'm going to wait for his direction because he's the head of my house. These are all types of what's going on here. And what's he going to do? He's going to strengthen. He shall strengthen, confirm, establish, fortify, make strong, 
make my feet alert, my walk, my heart. What? This word here, heart, means your inner man. It means the middle of you. It means your mind, will, and emotions. It means though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day if we wait upon the Lord, if we trust Him. So we don't have to faint. We can trust God. And I'm going to close with, I wanted to actually go through the whole chapter. You guys can have it as homework. It's Isaiah 40, and we're done. Isaiah 40, we'll start in 28. I wanted to do the whole chapter. Can't do it. Remember, what is Isaiah 40? 40 is the number of judgment, right? 40, and it opens with 40, verse 1. I'm not going to go there. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to those that are teaching peace and cry out to her, for her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. That's speaking of salvation. Jesus took our judgment on the cross. But I want you to see... You can read the rest of it. The next part is about John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. But in verse 28, he says this. Have you not known? I probably should teach this again Sunday because it's about knowing. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Have you not known? It's 4028. Have you not heard? Faith comes by hearing. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he never faints nor is weary. So if you don't want to faint or be weary, you wait upon him, and he will strengthen your heart. Listen, his understanding is unsearchable. Now, that doesn't mean you don't search for it. It just means you're never going to exhaust it. You won't reach the end of it. That is so much greater. His ways are higher than our ways. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. You got to come and say, I have no strength. Remember Moses? I'll do it, I. And he killed one Egyptian and then fled to Midian, afraid of Pharaoh going to kill him. Couldn't just kill one. But then when he waited upon the Lord and he waited 40 years in the wilderness and God was ready and he said, Here I am, send Aaron. And he didn't want to go anymore. He got to a place of weakness. He got to a place where he, God took everything out of him and then he was ready to be used. He got to that place, 40, where the judgment was there. And he said, I don't have any strength to do it. I can't even talk with my mouth. And then what happened? God used him to deliver the entire Egyptian army into the Red Sea and killed them all. Couldn't kill one in his own strength, but in God's strength, when he waited upon the Lord, the entire Egyptian army plundered and dead in the Red Sea. And he sang a big song about it. He worshiped God afterwards. Look, he gives power to the weak, 29, and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youths, the two youths, no, even the youths shall faint and be weary. No matter how much strength you got. Man, I am young and I got lots. You're going to faint and grow weary. You're going to wear out in your own strength. And the young men shall utterly fall. It doesn't matter the age. You'll wear out eventually. You'll burn out. You'll need to go get some fluids. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. Like eagles, y'all. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who are you waiting on? Where is your strength coming from? The battle is coming. It's getting stronger. The warfare is thick. You can feel it in the air. Israel's under attack. Listen to me. The enemy's coming. He rushes in with a flood, and the Lord raises up a standard, and that standard is Christ. You do not have to be afraid. The Lord is the light and my salvation. It's personal. Whom shall I fear? Listen, strength comes from the Lord because it's his stamina. It's his grace. It's his mercy. He's the one that calls you. And if you're waiting to do his will, he'll always give you power and might to go do it. But if you're trying to do yours, I tell people, when you're burning out, now I'm not saying that you never burn out doing God's will because Paul talked about it sometimes. But we don't know why he was in distress sometimes. We don't know why he was growing weary. We don't know why he was at the end of his rope. We don't know if he was doing some things of his own or we don't know that. Because a man will, in his flesh, he'll do some things. But if you're doing what God's called you to do, he'll always give you strength. He'll always give you grace. He'll always prepare you. He'll always bring you to that place so that he can be glorified. But if you do it in your strength, he'll leave the room. You can walk and not faint. Next week's scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, we've been in there. We've been out in, in several places in 2 Corinthians, uh, even in chapter 5. But we haven't done 5.17 in quite a while. But that opens up a big can of worms because there's so many good verses right there in the ministry of reconciliation. What are you waiting on? Who are you waiting on? Where are you getting your strength from? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. He's got a perfect plan. He's got a perfect salvation. And he can be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path and leading you where you need to go. But if there's no light there, you need to be careful going there because darkness is a bad place for his people to hang out. Father, thank you for your word. Pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us. Bless us. Give us a desire, Lord, to seek your face, to seek your favor to want to dwell in your presence forever, to understand this great deliverance you've given us. Teach us to wait, Lord, and to tarry with you and to allow you to lead us. We know as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.